Welcome to Celebration Church's podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and trust Him more. To learn more about Celebration Church, please visit us at celebrationchurchlive.com. Um, if you're new here at Celebration Church, we've been in a series um, that we've simply called Hopscotch, okay? Oh, Hopscotch, and um, that's kind of a lighthearted, lighthearted uh, series title, but we're actually dealing with some pretty nitty-gritty stuff throughout the life of this series. We're going to be dealing with some pretty big issues, and the tagline, the tagline for the sermon series is getting over it. Ooh, getting over it. Over it. And I believe that through the, through the life of this series, and specifically today, God is going to help us to get over some stuff. But before we jump into the message, I want to go to two places in Scripture. Is that cool? Two places in Scripture. I want to go to Mark chapter 8, and then I want us to go to Romans chapter 8. Mark chapter 8, we'll begin reading at verse 11, and then I want us to turn over to Romans chapter 8. Mark chapter 8, verse 11. If you don't have your Bible, I'll read it to you. It says this, it says, the Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign. Him is Jesus, a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. Quickly, let's turn over to Romans chapter 8. In verse 37. Now, Romans chapter 8 has kind of been the launching point for us throughout the life of this series, and I think you're about to see why. Romans chapter 8, verse 37 says this. It says, no, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We are more than conquerors. And if we are more than conquerors, that means there was something that needed to be conquered, there was something that had to be overcome. There was something, there was a struggle, there was a deficit that had to be made up. And this morning, I believe that God is going to help us to get over, are you ready for it? People's negative opinions. That's what we're going to be talking about this morning, getting over people's opinions. Can we pray real quick? Heavenly Father, Lord, I just thank you that you are here. Lord, I thank you that you did not need a reminder to come to church. Lord, I thank you that far before this service was on our heart or it was on our calendar, Lord, I thank you that it was on your heart. And Lord, I pray that your heart would come through this morning. Lord, help us to see Jesus in a new and unique way. Lord, help me to make much of you this morning. Lord, when we leave here, may we be saying, man, what a savior, not what a message. Lord, may we leave here leaning ever so closely on you and moving forward into the people that you've created us to be. And all God's people said, I'll drink to that. Amen. Um, real quick, I just want to ask you a question. Have you ever, um, have you ever in life just, you, you felt held back? You felt like you couldn't get where you were trying to go. You had a particular destination in mind, and you felt that you couldn't uh, get there. Um, in prepping for this message, I began to think about this, and a particular moment of my life instantly came to mind, okay? And uh, this moment took place about three years ago. So about three years ago, and it was in the middle of the summer, and we were on a family vacation, okay? And we were on a cruise to the Bahamas. All right. How many of you know, if you're five minutes into the message and you're already in the Bahamas, this is going to be a good word today. All right. We are already in the Bahamas. So we're on a cruise 
to the Bahamas. It's all of us, the Clarks. And I remember this one of the particular ports that we were going to have was the famous Atlantis Resort. Okay, many of you have probably seen the commercial. It's, it's incredible. So I remember we wake up, we've ported, and I'll begin to get ready to get off the boat. But you have to understand what I did that morning was I put on, I put on a swim shirt. Okay, and the reason I put on a swim shirt is because the day before, I hadn't. All right. And we were at another beach and your boy was out there with no swim shirt and no sunscreen. Okay. For six hours on the beach. Okay. Needless to say, I was scorched. I was torched. All right. I had gotten the worst sunburn of my life up until that moment. Okay. So I wake up the next day. I'm like, dad, like I want to go to Atlantis, but like, yo, like I'm burned. Okay. And he's like, son, I got you. He's like, I packed an extra swim shirt. Here you go. So I throw the swim shirt on. We begin to get off the boat. We're at Atlantis doing all of the, the things that you do at Atlantis until finally one of my brothers pipe up and they're like, guys, let's go find that iconic water slide from the commercial. And I'm like, dude, it's a deal, all right? So we begin to look for this water slide. Now, if you haven't seen the commercial, um, there's this water slide in the commercial, and what it does is it shoots you straight down, and then it sends you into a clear tube, and the clear tube goes underwater, and get this, the water that the tube is under is shark-infested, okay? So this is like a boy's dream, all right, to safely be in, you know, shark-infested waters, okay? So... We find this water slide, we jump in line, and you know, five years later, okay, we make it up to the top. And I have to tell you this, um, the whole time we were in line, I'm standing there with Weston and Carson, the whole time we are in line, I am talking mad trash, okay? I am talking some real trash, as a good older brother would, you know what I mean? I'm telling them like, yo, I'm going to beat you down this slide, all right? You guys need to time me because I am going to make it down to the bottom the fastest, which I knew gravity was on my side, okay? So, but I was not gonna call attention to that. So I'm like, yo, I'm gonna beat you down to the bottom of the slide, okay? So we're sitting there. Finally, like I said, five years later, we make it to the top of the water slide and it's my turn, right? I sit down in the little seat, you know, the water's just going crazy, okay? And I'm sitting there and I'm waiting, I'm waiting for the lifeguard to give me the go. And I'm watching him, and finally he goes, all right, man, go for it, okay? And as soon as he says, go for it, I turn over to Weston and Carson, I go, see you at the bottom, boys, okay? And then I grab the bar, I throw myself forward, I cross my arms and my legs, and I go, like, I'm, I'm, I'm stuck, okay? Water is shooting around. I'm about to drown, okay? I'm sitting there. I look over at Weston and Carson. They are losing their mind, okay? They are laughing hysterically, okay? The lifeguard's looking at me like, what's your problem? Okay, like, why aren't you going? I said, go. And I'm looking at him like, I can't go. He's like, I think your swim shirt is stuck on the slide. I was like, what? He said, I think your shirt is stuck on the slide. So I have to like do this weird finagling thing where I have to, you ever tried to like pull your clothes off of you when you're wet? It's not easy, okay? So I'm like trying to get my shirt unstuck and then I gotta do this weird floppy motion to get to the end of the slide until finally gravity does, you know, what gravity does and it takes me down the slide, it shoots me into the tube with the shark infested waters and I stand at the bottom and eagerly await to be roasted once again <laughs> by my brothers, okay? Stand at the bottom of the slide and just wait. But you see, I want to call your attention to something. What held me back from living out the legendary experience I was searching for was ultimately what I put on. It was the thing that I put on that ended up holding me 
back. And I'm here to tell you this morning, the things that you put on your life or the things you allow other people to place on your life have the real potential to end up holding you back and causing you to live a lesser life than Jesus died to give you. If we allow the negative opinions of other people to dictate where we go in life, we will end up stuck and nowhere. We've got to learn to push past the negative opinions of people. And if we're going to deal, which I hope we do, if we're going to deal with the negative opinions of people, the first thing I need you to understand is that negative opinions are inevitable. Negative opinions are inevitable. What do I mean? They ain't going nowhere. All right? They are surefire going to be around for the rest of your life. Negative opinions are inevitable. So if we can't avoid negative opinions, I guess that means we're going to have to learn to live in spite of negative opinions. We're going to have to learn to move beyond and move through negative opinions. And we read a, we read a piece of scripture a moment ago in, in Mark chapter 8. We read this little discourse that took place, and I want us to look at it again, but when we look at it, I want this to be fresh on your brain. And that's, this is the truth. It's that because of Jesus, you can live with nothing to prove. Because of Jesus, you can now live with nothing, nothing to prove. You see, we read a moment ago in, in Mark chapter 8, Jesus is talking to some Pharisees who were basically just religious bullies. Okay, that's what they essentially were. They were the religious bigwigs of the day. Okay, so Jesus is talking to these Pharisees. And before we dive into their conversation, I want to set the context for you to try to get you to understand what was happening in Jesus' life at this moment. Now, Jesus in this moment had just been in the most miraculous two months of his entire ministry. Literally, more miracles, scholars would tell you, more miracles took place inside of this two-month period than outside of Jesus' ministry altogether, outside of those two months altogether. So Jesus was cranking out the miracles. People were coming up to him blind. He's like, yo, check me out. Okay, you can see. He's like, I can't hear Jesus. He's like, name that tune, all right? All of a sudden, they're able to hear. People are coming up. He's like, oh, you're dead? No, you ain't. Rise and shine and give me the glory, okay? You know, he's, he's, it's like Oprah up in here, like, you get a miracle, you get a miracle, you get a miracle, like, He is dealing, he is wheeling and dealing some miracles, right? He is throwing the miracles out. He is doing lots of miracles. So all of a sudden, the Pharisees catch wind that Jesus is cranking out some miracles, and they get a little skeptical like they always do. And they come up to Jesus here in verse 11, and they say this. They say, Jesus, um, give us a sign. Say, Jesus, do a, little, do a little miracle. Show us one of your little parlor tricks. What you got cooking today? What's the new, what's the new one on the menu, Jesus? Do a, give us a sign. What are they doing? They're they're trying to get Jesus to prove himself. They're trying to get Jesus to win their approval. They're saying, hey, if you want us to approve of you, why don't you show us what you got? Why don't you give us a little something, something? They're trying to get Jesus to prove himself. But I love what Jesus says to these Pharisees. But before we look at what Jesus says, I want you to notice what Jesus does, okay? Because I think there's something powerful here. The Bible says this, right before Jesus opens his mouth to speak, it says, he sighed deeply in his spirit. It says Jesus, before he says anything, he goes, he sighs. And I'm one of those guys, like the Bible leaves out certain facts and adds others. So I'm like, what? the Bible's very strategic with what it lets us know. Okay, so I had to ask myself, why is there, why does it record the fact that Jesus sighs? And I believe that the, the reason it records Jesus sighing is to let us know that even Jesus got tired of trying to prove himself to people. 
Even Jesus got tired of having to prove himself to people. I'm here to tell you, you wanna live the rest of your life tired and worn out? Live the rest of your life trying to win the approval of people who don't like you. Live the rest of your days trying to vie for the opinions of people who don't give a rip about you. Even Jesus got tired of having to prove himself. So Jesus sighs deeply and all of a sudden Jesus opens his mouth. They say, Jesus, prove yourself. Win our approval. And notice what Jesus says. He, gets, he says this. This is so baller. He goes, no. He says, no, I'm not going to do it. And then he follows up with this. In fact, there will be no sign. Now, we have to ask ourselves, does he literally mean there's not going to be a sign? Because that's a little confusing. Because we had just saw him doing a lot of signs, a lot of wonders, a lot of miracles. So is there not going to be a sign or is there going to be a sign? Like, what is the deal? And I want you to understand the reason Jesus says this is what Jesus is saying. Is he saying, you know what? There's never going to be a sign good enough for people like you. For people who are so full of themselves that they can't stop to see the real me for a moment, there is never going to be a sign that changes your mind. I'm here to tell you, some of you in this room today, you are literally wasting the life that God has given you in trying to win the approval of the people around you. I'm here to tell you why, because some of them will never change their opinion of you. It doesn't matter how much success you have. It doesn't matter how many zeros are on your paycheck or letters come after your name. They are never going to change their tune about you. And this is why it is so important that you and I simply follow the voice of the good shepherd and say, no, no. When people try to get us to prove ourselves, when people try to get us to step into performing for them, we need to learn to simply Simply saying, say no. Now I get it. Saying no is a lot easier said than done. It really is. I understand that right here we're in church. It feels good. The mic's hot. You know, I'm yelling at you. You know what I'm saying? Like, it feels good. Yeah, let's say no. And then all of a sudden we leave here and somebody steps into this and we have a moment in the real world. And it's like, oh, it ain't, so, it ain't so easy now. But I think, I think when you understand what allowed Jesus to say no, I think you're gonna find it a little easier to say no as well. You see, Jesus didn't need their approval because he had already been approved. Jesus had already been approved. You see, we're reading this story in Mark chapter eight, right? And surely if you're reading through Mark chapter eight, chances are you've read through Mark chapter one. Okay, and in Mark chapter one, we see that Jesus is getting ready to start his full-time ministry. And what he does is he goes to his cousin, John the Baptist, and says, yo, I wanna get baptized. I'm gonna start my ministry. So John takes Jesus, dunks him under the water, brings him out, and as soon as he leaves the water, the Bible says this, that the sky splits open and the audible voice of God says this in Mark chapter one, verse 11. It says, you are my son whom I love with you, Get this, I am well pleased. With you, I am well pleased. God takes this moment to stamp his seal of love and approval on Jesus. He stamps his opinion on Jesus. Now, I want to call your attention. The reason I call your attention to this moment, the reason it's so significant that it's this moment is because you need to understand this moment took place before Jesus had ever done one miracle. In this moment, Jesus had never opened one blind eye. He had never calmed one storm. He had never taken a Lunchable and turned it into some all-you-can-eat buffet, okay? He had never done anything miraculous. He had never, get this, 
He had never even forgiven one sin. Yet this is the moment before Jesus does anything good that God decides to stamp his seal of love and approval on Jesus. He decides to express his opinion of Jesus before Jesus has a chance to do anything good. And man, I'm here to tell you this morning that when you finally get a grip on the fact that before you did anything good, before you did anything right, come on church, before you did anything good, when you start, before you started coming to church, before you started tithing, before you read one verse or said one prayer, God had already expressed his opinion of you. When you realize that God has already expressed his opinion of you, there is nothing that's gonna hold you back. You see, sometimes we think that it was us turning our hearts toward God that made God change his opinion of us. No, the opinion of God is the only thing that makes anyone turn their heart towards him. That's why Paul can say this. He says, it is the goodness of God that draws men to change. It's the goodness of God that leads us to repent. I'm here to tell you this morning, and I hope you get this. God had an opinion of you before anyone had an opinion of you. God had a plan for you before anyone had an opinion about you. And when you realize just what Jesus realized, that you've already been approved, you won't need to vie for their attention anymore. You see, Jesus, you see, Jesus didn't need to be approved by them because he had already been approved by him. Jesus didn't need to step into a place of vying for people's attention because he already had the attention of his, of his father. You see, when you realize that you have heaven's yes, you won't hesitate to give negative opinions your no. When you realize that you fully have heaven's yes, you won't hesitate to give a negative opinion your no. We need to learn to simply say no. You know, one of the reasons, if we're going to be honest this morning, and I hope we can, we're in church, we might as well. One of the reasons that it is so hard for us to say no to people's negative opinions is because if we're going to be honest, a lot of the time, people have their negative opinions based in fact. People have formed their negative opinion because of the stuff, get it, you've done. The things that you did. But guess what? Their opinion is based on what you did, on what you've done. What does that mean? It's in your past. Their opinion of you is based on a person you no longer are. Their opinion of you is rooted in something that you no longer are. And I'm here to tell you, when you know who you are right now, you won't be held back by who you used to be. When you know who you are now, you won't be held back by who you used to be. I kind of see it like this. Um, imagine with me for a moment, okay? Imagine with me that um, I was to go missing later today. I know it's super morbid, okay? And uh, God willing, it's never going to happen. But imagine later today, Keenan Clark was to uh, turn up missing, okay? And um, I pray that there would be a group of you who would rally together and say, hey, we gotta locate Kenan, all right? We've gotta find Kenan. I pray that that's the way that would go. But imagine a group of you do form, okay? A posse forms, and you're gonna go find me. You need to locate me. And imagine with me that your plan to find me was that you were gonna print off a bunch of missing person posters, okay? And you were gonna put them all over San Angelo, right? On every telephone pole and every restaurant, everywhere. You were going to print off a bunch of missing person posters and you were going to print them everywhere. And imagine with me that the, that, that the poster said something like this. It says, this is Keenan Clark. He is missing. He was last seen preaching 
at Celebration Church on February the 9th, okay? If you see him or hear of his whereabouts, contact this number, okay? That's what the poster says. But imagine with me that in the middle of the poster, you put this photo. <laughs> First day of the fifth grade. That is my literal rock bottom, okay? Is why I show you that today. Imagine with me though. Imagine you post, you put this photo on the missing person poster, okay? How many of you know I am never gonna be found? Why? Because though that is me, sadly, in that photo, that is not me anymore. That is me, that is Keenan Clark in that photo, but that's not me anymore. 15 years has gone by. Times have changed me. God's grace has gotten on my life and evidently on my hair, okay? <laughs> I'm telling you, I, I've, I've changed, but you know what? This is exactly what we allow people to do to us every single day of our lives. We let them come in and take a screenshot of us at our lowest moment, at our rock bottom, and then forever hold that up as that's who we still are. We let them parade that around as though God's grace never got on your life, as though you never learned your lessons, as though you haven't moved forward, and we believe them. We believe them. We end up being held back because somebody else won't let go of our past. And I'm here to tell you, when you know who you are, when you know that God's grace has changed you from the inside out, you won't let somebody else hold you back. You'll be able to say this like Paul when he says it in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. By the grace of God. You know, I didn't do this to me. I didn't, break, I didn't bring myself here. I didn't clean myself up. I didn't turn myself into this. The grace of God has gotten on my life, and it's done for me what no psychic, what no guru, what no self-help book or 12-step program could ever do for my life. It's changed me. The grace of God, it's changed me. It's turned me in. It's turned me into something different. I'm telling you, when you know who you are in Christ, you won't be held back by people who won't let go of your past. When you know who you are in Christ, you won't be held back by people who won't let go of your past. And really quickly, we're going to kind of begin closing the, closing the message, but I want us to look at a particular story that Jesus tells. And as soon as I begin to tell it, a lot of you church people, you're going to want to tune me out because you know the story, okay? But I really think that God has something unique and maybe even new to show you in this story today. So I, I, I'm asking for, for you to stick with me through the story. And in Luke 15, Jesus tells a story. And he's telling this story to some Pharisees, another group of religious bullies, because they came up to Jesus and they had a problem with his crew. He's like, yo, your, your crew's not churchy enough. And guess what? Newsflash to some of you, um, Jesus wasn't very churchy. You understand that? He was fully godly, but he wasn't very churchly. You know, that's the problem with our, a lot of our churches. We're more churchy than we are godly. And that's why the world doesn't want anything to do with us, okay? If we were to step into a place of godliness and forsake churchiness, I think the world might actually want to lean into what we have to say. But Jesus, he, he tells this story to try to communicate to these guys why he hangs out with the people he hangs out with, why he hangs out with the rejects, why he hangs out with the screw-ups, why he hangs out with people like, like me. And so Jesus begins to tell this story, and he says, imagine with me that that there's a father, 
And imagine with me that he's got two sons. He's got an older son who's a good goody two-shoes. He's a classic firstborn, wants to do everything just right. I can say that because I am one. Okay. <laughs> he wants to do everything just right. He's obedient. Okay. He, he's resilient. He's loyal. That's his firstborn. But he doesn't have just one son. He's got, he's got two. He's got a younger son who who's not quite like the older brother. The younger son's got a little bit of an edge to him. He's got a little bit of a, a wild side. He's one of the kids that has to learn things the hard way, okay? He's got a little bit of a rebellious spirit. And so the, Jesus tells the story. He says, imagine with me that the father has two sons and the younger son comes up to the dad and he says, dad, I want my inheritance now. I want my inheritance. Show me the money, okay? Which you have to understand, this son is literally telling the father, you're just as good as dead to me. Because you didn't get your inheritance until your father had passed away. What the son is saying is, Dad, you're sadly in good health, and I don't have time to wait around for you to die. Show me the cash. That's literally what he's saying. He's completely disrespectful. And oddly enough, the way Jesus tells the story, the father does it. Okay? I'll have to tell you, that is not the way it would have gone in our house. Okay? I would have, I would have walked out of there with no money. But he gives him, he gives him the money. He gives him the money. You should read your Bible, okay? <laughs> he, gives him, he gives him the money, right? And the son, the Bible says, he goes off to a faraway country and begins to live the word prodigal. Now, the word prodigal, it means wasteful. The prodigal son is the wasteful son. He begins to live prodigally. He's throwing his money at whatever will buy him a cheap thrill and another hit of dopamine. He is throwing his money at whatever will bring him some satisfaction in that moment. And so he lives like this for a period of time when all of a sudden the son runs out of money. And the Bible says that when he runs out of money, that the economy crashes in that moment. All of a sudden the economy is bad. And now this irresponsible young man has to do what every irresponsible young man hates to do. He's got to go look for a J-O-B. Okay. He's got to go find, he's got to go find a job. So he finds a job and he gets a job slopping some pigs. Okay. He is literally feeding pigs their, their pig slop. Okay. So he's sitting there feeding the pigs one day and all of a sudden he gets so hungry he gets in such a low place that he literally looks at the pig slop and thinks, man, that doesn't look half bad, okay? Like, I don't think it's really as bad as it. all that stuff tastes good separate. It might taste good together, you know what I mean? Like, he's, he's thinking, man, this actually looks pretty good. And as he goes down to pick up some of the pig slop, the Bible says this. It says he came to his senses. It literally uses that language. He came to his senses. He has this aha moment where he goes, man, the people in my dad's house who serve him have it better than me. I'll go back to dad's house and I'll apply for a job. I'll just be his employee. Forget being a kid. I'll just be his employee. So he begins, he quits his job and he begins the, the journey on home. He goes home. He begins to around the, the corner onto the property. He comes over the property line. And the Bible says this, that while the son was still a long way off, the father saw him. The father sitting on the front porch in his rocking chair, drinking some lemonade, and all of a sudden he sees the silhouette of his son off in the distance. And get, get this, the Bible says this, that the father jumps out of his chair, probably spills his lemonade everywhere, and begins to run through the property. He begins to run 
towards the son. The Bible says that when he gets to him, he jumps on him. He throws his arms around his son, begins to hug him and kiss him, okay? And the son in this moment tries to get a speech out that he had planned, and the dad is not interested in the speech, okay? The dad's like, shut up, okay? And he smothers him, right? He begins to just hug him and kiss him. And he says, he calls back to the house, and he says, grab a ring, grab some sandals, grab a robe, call the DJ, we're gonna have a party. So what the father says, he says, we're going to have a party, and they go inside and begin to make preparations. Now, we're not really sure how much time passes between now and then, but later that evening, all of a sudden, the party is going. And the reason I know the party is going is because of this verse right here, Luke 15, 25. It says this, now the older son was in the field, and as he came, he drew near to the house, and he heard the sound of music and dancing. The son hears the sound of music and dancing, the party is already going. And this ticks the older son off. He gets so upset. He gets so upset that eventually the dad has to come outside to console him. Now, I want you to notice something. The dad left the porch to meet the younger son and he leaves the party to go and meet the older son. What does this tell me? God's heart is always for the one who feels they are on the outside. God's heart is always towards people who feel they are on the outside. The, the father, he, he leaves the party to go and talk to his son. He gets there, and as soon as the father walks up, the son begins to let his dad have it. He goes off, all the way off on his dad. He says, Dad, what is wrong with you? This son of yours was wasting your money on prostitutes. He has dragged your name through the mud, and now he shows up smelling terrible, looking like sin, and you want to throw him a party? This is ridiculous. This is shameful. You, you should be disgraced. He says, and you, I've been here slaving away for you, and you've never even given me one goat, never given me anything that I can share and have a party with some of my friends. He goes off on his day, he's yelling at him. He's expressing, get this, his negative opinion of his younger brother. He's expressing his disapproval of his younger brother in this moment. And the father looks at him and says, hey, I get it. Now you have to understand, all that I have belongs to you now. But we had to celebrate because this, notice the language, this brother of yours was once dead and now he's alive. And get this, the story ends there. We don't know what the older son did with that information. We don't know if the older son ever changes his tune about his brother. But the reason I tell you that entire story is to kind of, to ask you this question right here. The entire time the older brother is going all the way off and yelling his negative opinion about his younger brother and how he doesn't deserve anything. The whole time he's expressing this negative opinion. Where is the younger brother? He's on the dance floor. He's on the dance floor dancing in what his father had given him the entire time this negative opinion is still looming in the air about him. He is just receiving what the father had given him. I'm here to tell you today, when you know how God feels about you, you can dance over what people think about you. When you know how your father feels about you. You can dance over what other people think about you when you get rooted and grounded in the love of God, when you know who you are because of what Jesus has done in your life, the negative opinions will not have a hold on you. Why? Because you have been held by your creator. You are in the arms of your father and if he has put his rubber stamp on you, then that is all you need. And this morning what I love is we're gonna have baptisms 
and we have a few people who are ready to get baptized. And what I love about baptisms is all this is, is people going public with their faith. They are publicly declaring that they identify as a Jesus follower. What I really love about this is that it could be possible that some of you know one of these people. And it's even more possible that if you know them, you might even have a negative opinion about one of them. But you know what your negative opinion is not doing? It is not going to stop them from getting in that water and moving forward in their relationship with God. Amen. This is going to be amazing. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Celebration Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.